chapter 5. We're only going to look at one verse this morning, so turn there, the last verse, in fact, of Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this time in your word. May we understand clearly what you require of us. Lord, I pray that you'd give us insight. Lord, we dedicate these moments to you. We're giving our full attention to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Way back in 1958, a guy by the name of Dr. Norman Pittinger published a critique of C.S. Lewis in a Christian magazine. I can't believe anybody would do that, but he did. He criticized C.S. Lewis, and among his criticisms was the accusation that Lewis did not care much for the Sermon on the Mount. Well, C.S. Lewis responded publicly in print, and this is how he responded. He said, as to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it, who can hardly like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read this sermon with tranquil pleasure. I think that is an accurate assessment of the Sermon on the Mount's effect on the life of a sincere, genuine, believing reader. This is the most convicting sermon ever. In fact, every single line in this sermon taken to heart flattens us. It destroys our self-righteousness. You remember that this sermon opens with those eight beatitudes. And Jesus says, this is how you need to be. You need to be poor in spirit. Blessed are you if you're poor in spirit. Now that's poverty. Blessed are those who are bankrupt in their soul. He goes on and he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who wail and grieve over their spiritual bankruptcy. He says, blessed are the meek, not the strong and the mighty. The meek. You're most blessed when you're meek. Jesus said, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty. Those who are starving For righteousness, craving righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says. Blessed are those people that have peace with everyone in their life. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted and slandered. Now those are characteristics that should describe us. Does that describe you? Those are like eight humiliating 
blows with the spiritual sledgehammer. Then Jesus goes on in this sermon to speak about the influence that we should have as Christians. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be preserving agents all over planet earth. We're supposed to be the lights of the world in a dark world, shining Jesus. How do you do on that? In verse 20, Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Think of the most religious people in your life. And Jesus says, you got to be more righteous than them. And then Jesus takes us through various elements of the law and ups the ante. He says, the law says you shouldn't murder. Jesus says it's possible to murder in your heart through sinful anger. The law says don't commit adultery. Jesus said if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus has high standards for marriage and divorce. According to Jesus, marriage is to be a permanent bond between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Divorce is not permitted except in cases of adultery, and even then, reconciliation is the highest. Jesus said that. Jesus says we're to be men and women of integrity, always speaking truthfully. When you say yes, what's that supposed to mean? Yes, when you say no, what's that supposed to mean? We are to say what we mean and mean what we say. And then Jesus says, we're to be men and women who don't retaliate. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, you turn the other cheek. Don't trade insult for insult. Jesus said, if somebody sues you for a little, give them more to avoid the actual lawsuit. And then as we saw last week, Jesus says, love your enemy. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So, does that sermon describe you? Even on your best day, in your best behavior, does this sermon describe you in thought, in speech, in deed? Well, maybe you think you're doing just fine on those first 47 verses. Well, look what Jesus says in the last verse, the one that sums up verse 48. Jesus says, therefore, you shall be perfect. Just as your father in heaven is perfect. Did Jesus just say that? Did he really say that? You're to be perfect. Yeah, he said it. And perfect means perfect. It means blamelessness. Jesus said, if you're one of my people, then you need to be perfect. You need to be perfect in all the details of keeping this sermon. You need to be perfect in all of the standards revealed throughout the entire Bible. God demands perfection. And so this is the final knockout blow, isn't it? 
You read through the first 47 verses and you're taking body jabs and shots to the face. And then we get to verse 48 and it is the knockout blow. Puts us right on our back. Recognizing that none of us can live up to these perfect standards that God has commanded. Now, Jesus does make this command. So I think it's really important that we as Christians need to understand our relation to perfection. God does require perfection. There's another word that Jesus uses throughout this sermon, which basically is another word for perfection. It's the word righteousness. We're to be righteous. To be righteous is to measure up perfectly to a standard. It is perfect conformity to the standards that God has put in place. You have to keep those standards perfectly. If you mess up once, you're no longer perfect. You're unrighteous. And I like to share this illustration. Let's say that you were able to keep from sinning for 75 years. You were able to pull that off. Not one sinful thought or word or action for 75 years. And then on your deathbed, one sinful thought, you become unrighteous. You are no longer perfect. You failed. That is his standard. Now, that's a horrible example. None of us could ever do that for 75 years, could we? We're good if we make it 75 seconds. But just so you know, that is the standard. And so, the scripture says... As in Romans chapter 3, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short from the glory of God. Now, you might sit here and think that you're better than someone else. You're not as bad as your neighbor. You live a pretty good life, but in comparison to God... You're sinful, ugly sinful. I mean, you're not even on the same radar. The holiness of God is something that we can't even understand or fathom. And I believe that is the attribute of God that should most terrify us. God is pure, absolutely spotless, sinless. Righteous, holy. Sin can't be tolerated in his presence. And we fall so short from that. So the first thing you need to understand when it comes to this idea of perfection is not just that you're imperfect, that's obvious, but you're really imperfect. You're you're at the very bottom. We stand condemned. And so we come back really full circle to those first two Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who know that they're bankrupt. 
Blessed are those who mourn, who wail. That is necessary. So it's necessary to be confronted with these holy standards of righteousness so that we can see how far we fall short. It's, it's necessary to be hit with a hammer. It puts us where we need to be. The classic preacher Alexander White almost lost his arm when he was a little boy. He would have been taken to the hospital to have it amputated if it were not for a neighbor lady who said she would nurse him back to health, and she did. As the arm was healing, White went through intense pain, but the woman would always say to him, I like the pain. I like the pain. Because that meant he had feeling in his arm, and it was healing. As a result, when White became a preacher much later in life, he would often say this when he preached, I like the pain. I like the pain. I like the pain of a Sermon on the Mount or of those passages that tell us exactly what is required. They should deal us pain so that we admit before a holy God how imperfect we are. So once you're destroyed in your self-righteousness, there's another very important word that you need to understand when it comes to your relation to perfection, and that would be this beautiful word called justification. Justification, super important word in New Testament doctrine. To be justified means to be declared righteous to be declared innocent to be declared perfect that is our only hope if we're to be saved then God must declare us to be righteous and that is what happens when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation It's a great miracle. It's an unbelievable concept that every Christian should fully understand. God loves us. He knows that we're sinners. He sent his son, Jesus, to come. The son of God, the sinless one. Blameless, perfect, holy, righteous. The spotless lamb of God. Jesus did pull it off. Never sinned once in mind, word, or activity. Jesus was sent to pay the price for us. Jesus went to the cross to take our punishment. He wasn't punished for his own sin. He's perfect. The Bible says that he willingly bore our sins, died in our place. And rose again that third day. And it is the most amazing thing. Listen so carefully. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God himself justifies you. In the courtroom of heaven. Both now and forever till the end of the age. You are declared righteous. 
You are seen as perfect. You are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Justification. Those who are not in themselves righteous are treated as if they are righteous because God sees them in the perfection of Jesus Christ. Please understand your status before God. In the eyes of God, because of what Jesus did for you and because you received him into your life, God no longer sees you as the sinner. He sees you perfect, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. You need to understand what happened to you. You're not perfect. God declared you to be perfect. Not because you are, but because you're covered in the perfection of Jesus Christ. Now, I will ask this this question quite a bit to people. I'll say, if you were to die today and you were to stand at the gates of heaven and someone were to ask you, why should we let you in to heaven? What would be your answer to that? And you'd be amazed how many times people say, well, I gave it my best shot. I tried to live a better life than other people. Doesn't matter how good you tried or how good you were. You fall so far short. The only answer is because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I'm covered in his righteousness. You're justified. You're declared perfect. My friend, have you received Christ into your life knowing that truth? Is that your status before God? If you don't have Christ in your life, you still stand as a sinner before a holy God. What a terrible thing. But as someone who has put their faith and trust in Christ, you're justified. So justification, very important word. Now I want to talk to you about another very important word when it comes to this idea of perfection. It's, it's the New Testament doctrine that we call sanctification. Sanctification, I want you to think of as a, as a process. So when you give your life to Jesus, when you place your faith and trust in him, you're justified, you're saved, you're forgiven. But also... You're transformed. The scripture says that you're given a new heart, a new nature, and that you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And there's a transformation. There's a change that takes place in your life day by day by day in this life practically. And that change comes by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. So sanctification is where you start to become more and more perfect, practically. More and more righteous, practically. More and more like Jesus, practically. So when you give your heart to Christ and you're justified, that begins your journey to actual perfection. And all of us, as Christians, 
should change. We'll never become perfect this side of heaven, but we should become better. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, living the Christian life is is not something you can do in your own strength. Sermon on the Mount, you can't live it in your own strength. It requires the power of God, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Holy Spirit can empower you to love your enemy. The Holy Spirit can deliver you from the sinful, lustful behavior in the heart. Anger in the heart. The Holy Spirit will produce that fruit inside of you as you walk with him. And as you cooperate with him. So this is a process that as Christians we need to be heavily involved in. God saved you. And he wants to change you. And there is a process. I believe that we should wake up every morning as a Christian thanking God for what he did. And being aware that the Holy Spirit lives inside you. The Bible says we're to walk in the Spirit, which means live life in constant dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Are you aware of him? Do you know he's with you? To help you as you depend upon him? Andrew Murray wrote, May not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light, love, and joy of God's presence. And not a moment without the entire surrender of myself as a vessel to him to fill full of his spirit and his love. That's a daily dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Cooperating in that sanctification process. The other thing we need to do as Christians is grow in our personal relationship with Christ. Sow into your spiritual health. You know, when you become a Christian, you start as a babe. And you have to grow. And you grow through your knowledge of God's word. Through time of prayer. Through time of fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how you grow. And you become stronger. And you spend more time with Jesus. And I promise you, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you'll become like Jesus. He'll live life through you. Those basic foundational principles of growth, keep to them. Daily Bible reading, time of prayer, hanging out with your brothers and sisters in Christ, making that a part of your life. You know, there's a big warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Listen to that. You may have developed good habits in your life. You start hanging around with evil people, it'll corrupt your good habits. And you say, well, I can handle that. Paul says, don't be deceived. Fill your life 
with godly influence. From God's word, time in prayer, to spending time with God's people. You invest in that. That helps you to grow. And that helps you in the sanctification process. Now this should be something that all of us should want to do as as born-again Christians. And remember the motivation. We do it out of thanksgiving. We're grateful to do it because of everything that Jesus did for us. You don't do good works to get saved. You do good works because you are saved. And you want to live your life for Christ. My Savior justified me. I'm living for him, right? And by the way, it's this sanctification process in our lives that makes us salty. And makes us shine with the light of Jesus among our friends and relatives. And it helps us to be that effective witness for Jesus as we point others To what life can be like with Jesus. So sanctification, justification, that one-time event where God declares you righteous. Sanctification, the process. One more word I'd like you to consider, and I think this is my favorite. It's the word glorification. Glorification. That word speaks of our future lives in heaven after life in this world. Did you know one day you're going to be glorified? If you're a born-again Christian, one day you're going to be glorified. Jesus is going to come again. The Bible says that when that happens, we will be glorified. We'll be given glorified bodies. We'll be given perfect bodies. We'll be given sinless Body, sinless perfect. Can you imagine no more struggle with sin? Can you imagine actual perfection? That's glorification. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, we are now children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's such a wonderful verse. If you're a child of God, right now you have no idea what it's going to be like for you later. You have no idea of what it's going to be actually like in the future. But when that happens, when it's revealed, you'll be like Jesus. You'll be in a glorified body. You'll be in a place of perfection. What a hope. So I want you to see the flow of this plan of God when it comes to salvation and perfection. You begin in the dark. I mean, you are, you have to remember how imperfect you are. Understand. Give your life to Jesus and he justifies. He declares you perfect. Then you participate in the sanctification process in this life. Becoming more and more like him as you depend upon the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, you're going to be glorified and perfected. What a journey. What an exciting plan God has for us. I had a uh, professor 
in, at, when I was at Dallas Theological Seminary. I had a professor who, we were talking about this subject, and he did this illustration that I will never forget. We were in this big classroom. There were a bunch of us. It had a state-of-the-art lighting system. And he turned off all the lights, and it was pitch black. There were no windows or anything like that. The lights went off, and we're in darkness. And over the microphone, he said, this is you before Christ. You're in darkness. You're in sin. You're lost. And then he said, this is you when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're justified. And you turn the lights on. You've stepped into the light. Then he said, now you're a part of the sanctification process. Now, this lighting system had dimmers on it. So he goes, here's a picture of your life as you go through the sanctification process. And he'd turn the lights some up, and then it'd go back down. Up, down. A struggle a journey, hopefully getting better and better as you go. And then at the end, he turned the lights on full blaze, almost blinded all of us. Our eyes weren't ready for it, right? So we, what's that? That's heaven. That's glorification. I never forgot that. It's a beautiful picture. Where are you on that journey? Where are you in that process? If you're here this morning and you've never received Christ, man, you're in that place of darkness. Have you ever received him as your Lord and Savior? Maybe you've always thought, hey, I'm, I'm going to be better than other people. I'll make it. I'm religious or whatever. No, understand that the, the standard is too high. Apart from Christ, we're in the darkness. You need to receive Christ. You need him to justify you. Maybe you're here and you're a born-again Christian and you're saved, but are you participating in the sanctification process? Are you living for him? Are you being empowered by him? Make it get stronger and stronger. Keep that light getting stronger and stronger. I had a guy after first service come and say, you know, I, I'm kind of like a strobe light. <laughs> Try to make it steady. A steady, continual growth as you follow Christ with all of your heart. Let's bow our heads. Let's ask Jesus to help us with this. Lord, we're so blown away by what you have done for us. Lord, just that very concept of justification because of what you did for us at the cross. Thank you for making it possible for us to be saved, to be considered righteous in your eyes. Lord, what a miracle. What a miracle. And Lord, as your people, we certainly want to live that out. We want to be thankful. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us. And I pray for each one of us, Lord, that we would readily 
willingly participate in that process of sanctification. Lord, change us day to day. Make us stronger. Use our lives for your glory. Lord, we certainly thank you for the amazing future that you have all planned out for us. We're grateful. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you have not yet received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to place your faith and trust in him for salvation. He died for you. You must admit your imperfection. Place your faith in him who shed his blood on that cross for your sins and rose again. Let him save you. Let him justify you. If that's you, just pray a quiet little prayer like this right in the quietness of your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, justify me. Declare me righteous. I admit to you I'm so unrighteous. I fail. I've sinned. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. And rising again. So be my Lord. Be my Savior. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to walk with you. Help me to live a life that's filled with thanksgiving and praise and return back to you. And let me do so with devotion. And turn my life into an example for others. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.